Hello and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. Today, we explore ways to marry analytics with authentic human connections to motivate more admits to enroll at your school, a process referred to in more clinical terms as boosting yield. Gone are the days when admissions teams could throw a bunch of calls and emails and letters at their admitted students and hope for the best. Today, they need data and analytics to focus yield efforts where they will have the greatest impact. Our guests today share five important steps that any school can take to boost yield and help applicants make authentic connections with current students, other admits, and faculty before they ever set foot on campus. Give them a listen and enjoy. Well, hello, and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. My name is Madeline Rainier, and I'm the Dean of Enrollment Management and manage our consulting practice in the enrollment side of the house. And I'm joined today by my great friend and colleague, Lex Ruby Howe. Lex, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm great. I have to admit, Madeline, that I am missing the sunny shores of Marco Island, where you and I were exactly two weeks ago at the CIC conference. And the white sandy beaches and the sunshine on my skin is meaningfully different than the uh, snowflakes, snowflakes falling from the sky here in, in DC. So I'm, I'm a little wistful for, for the fun that we had uh, down in Florida uh, two weeks ago, but certainly glad to be with you today. And thank you for having me um, join you in today's office hours. Well, thank you for joining me, Lex, because um, we're going to have some fun today. Um, and really, I think we're excited about the insights we have to share with our listeners. So all of you listening understand that this is the time of year when enrollment teams really go into hyperdrive to convert their admitted students into matriculants, because, of course, they're really focused on yielding that class to meet headcount and net tuition revenue goals. I also think that most of you listening understand how important these yield activities are to actually achieve your goals. And you appreciate that this is a part of the enrollment process that can either go very, very well or could go terribly wrong. So today, Lex and I are gonna talk about the difference between some high impact and data-informed tactics to boost yield versus what unfortunately we see too many colleges and universities doing. And that is throwing everything they have up against the wall and hoping that some combination of things will, will work um, and they hope for the best. Yeah, that's right, Randall. And I, and I think the advice that we're going to give folks today that hopefully helps as they stay down the barrel of yield and melt season falls into sort of two main categories. The first is use data to focus your yield efforts where they will have the greatest impact. And second, eliminate barriers to getting those admitted students engaged and build meaningful connections with current students faculty, staff, alumni, uh, so they get even more entrenched and excited about an experience at your institution. Take awesome. it away. So I think we wanna just dive right in. Time is precious. So uh, we have actually five key tactics. So let's start with number one, ask your admits, just flat out ask your admits if they plan to enroll. And I know for many of you, this is gonna sound ridiculously simple, but you would be surprised how many schools actually take the most elemental step which is simply asking students, what's on your mind? Where do we stand? You know, do you intend to enroll? So there are all kinds of ways you can do this, but you, know, you could think about creating a very simple survey with not many questions because you know, they want to answer a lot of questions. And the simple survey is, do you intend to deposit or do you intend to enroll? And as you're thinking about your survey, the range of possible responses might be yes, probably, maybe, 
or no? And, and you're probably thinking, what is the difference between probably and maybe? Well, there's incremental. And of course, I don't want to say, yeah, likely no. So, so we're, we're hedging on the like more positive side of the house. And, and in it general- It sounds like teenagers that <laughs> the differences. <laughs> Many like, qualifiers like are always good. <laughs> but, but some students will say yes, because they're you know just like ready to click the button and make their enrollment deposit today. And what you're really trying to figure out is where people stand. And I will tell you that in general, our experience at EAB is that about 40% of students, so 40% of the people in your MIT pool will respond to a quick survey like this. So lest you think, really, why go to the effort? Kids are, you know, they don't want to do it. A surprising number actually are going to answer you. So why are you asking this, these questions and what are you going to do with what you learn? Well, let's start with no, because a, a substantial percentage of the respondents in that 40% are going to tell you no, I don't plan to enroll. And although on the face of it, this sounds kind of demoralizing, like, why did I want to know that? You actually really do want to know that, because in many cases, your admit pool is large enough that your admission staff doesn't have enough time to really do high impact and personal recruiting with all of the students. So for, for those who say, no, I don't plan to enroll, you actually can quickly move them into, it doesn't mean you necessarily uh, withdraw their offer of admission and make them inactive, but it means you really can just put them back on, you know, kind of your standard, whatever communication you're launching out of your slate or your CRM. Because what you want to do is you want to focus on the students who are essentially in play and those families. Um, the thing I love the most about teenagers is they don't have a ton of guile. And, and even though it kind of breaks your heart, they really are willing to tell you no. And again, from our experience at EAB and then my experience in enrollment, no very, very rarely becomes yes. So in case you're thinking, mm -hmm. well, maybe they just are having a bad day and they said no, the survey says actually that that is very unlikely to occur. So the, the benefits of this are, first of all, you've eliminated a number of students for whom uh, you realize that putting out a lot of uh, personal attention isn't going to make a difference, so you don't need to. It allows you to prioritize your uh, very scarce human resources on the families that are still in play. This is also generally a big win for your team emotionally because as you know, it's very hard to be reaching out to a student after student who's going, yeah, no, I'm not coming. And what you're doing is you're allowing your, your staff to spend most of their time with people who actually have the potential to be influenced and you, they can share information and be effective as recruiters to try and get those students and families to yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's going to be so valuable given what we saw across last year's um, yield and melt season, where there was just so much movement, so much disturbance, and so much vulnerability. I guess as we think about uh, those cohorts of the yeses, the nos, the probably, the maybes, um, how do you think about um, sort of tailoring some of those communications or outreach strategies to those, you know, meaningful what twenty five percent that you're that enrollment teams can inflect? Are there specific best practices that you think can have outsized impact, Madeline? Yeah, Lex, it's a, it's a really good question because of course, it's not enough to ask. You actually have to do something with the information that you get, particularly for those right. students and families that are still in play. Um, and remember that we're just dealing with Gen Z who are used to instantaneous answers to virtually every question online all the time. 
So as an enrollment person, you're thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what if they answer that survey at 11 p.m.? Are they really thinking that I'm going to answer them? I don't think you have to answer at 11 p.m., but what you want to try and do is hardwire, whether you're running this survey through Slate or some other mechanism, you need to be able to get word back to the appropriate admission counselor. So some sort of tagging mm -hmm. so that when the student says probably, but then you've given them the chance to tell you what it is they need to know more about to kind of get them over the fence, um, that your team member or you, if, if it comes back to you, can actually be apprised of what is it I want to know and be ready mm -hmm. to respond to that. Um, another potential best practice is to ask the ask in the survey, how do you want to get this information? Do you want an email? Do you want a phone call? No one wants a phone call. Would you like a text? You know, um, and when might be a good time to reach you? You know, we want to be respectful of students, but the key right. is hardwiring in the sort of response and being ready with your team. So everybody's prepared to be nimble because if you wait, you know, 48 hours or longer to respond, I think it's kind of game over. They've forgotten that they've asked. Yeah. So you want to, yeah. you know, within 12 to 24 hours, that's sort of the gold standard here. The other Helpful. thing is- So that's the, oh. sorry, go, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Madeline. I guess, so that's the that's the 25 or 30% you think you can reflect. What do you do with the no's, the hard no's, those, or the or the firm yeses, um, those 60% of, of students that either, um, you know, don't get back to us or say no or don't respond? Do we- um, email them again? Do you leave them alone? Do you hammer them with 17 emails? Like, <laughs> how are we thinking about approaching them? Well, so if you do respond, I think with the no's, um, you just move them into a lower priority, uh, more automated kind of communication. If someone says yes, I think the immediate follow-up is to say, amazing, I'm so excited to welcome you into our, you know, our institutional family. And, you know, what is it that I can do to help your family with next steps as you're preparing? You know, what, yeah. what support do you need? Answer the questions of people that are in the probably and maybe category, or if they don't give you a question, reach out to ask what it is that would be yep. helpful to them to know. But really, I think what you're also asking me is, okay, so if 40% of students respond, what does that mean? What about the other 60%, the, the other people exactly. who are like, yeah, no, I didn't pay attention to your survey or yeah, no, I'm not answering you. So that kind of leads us to our next piece of advice about really uh, doing a great yield job. And that is to have a robust predictive model and also to hardwire your response with uh, whatever data it is you're capturing from a predictive model. So our research at EAB has definitely demonstrated that statistical models that incorporate data from recruitment related and recruitment marketing interactions. So it could be a visit to campus, I opened an email, I was on your website and the political science, you know, uh, academic program webpage, I was looking up about uh, off-campus study. If you are able to track and um, collate this information and be able to track it over time, remember it's not just a moment in time, it is over time, that the statistical models that underpin that can be highly predictive of actual student behavior. So having said mm -hmm. that, I will also say that statistical models are only as good as the inputs that they're tracking, which means are you actually tracking the things that are material for your student population? And certainly their accuracy can vary over time. COVID would be a great example of, you know, you, you're leaning on your statistical model, but all of these are built on what happened the year before and the year before that. And there can be, you know, big shifts. However, you're really flying blind if you don't have some kind of a predictive statistical model. 
So if we have folks who are listening in and they've got a predictive model and they're trying to think, okay, is this good or not? Maybe it was built by a predecessor. Maybe it was built by somebody in institutional re research. Maybe it's 20 years old and it's been passed to your point generation to generation of um, other enrollment leaders. How can they tell whether their, their model is good enough or not? I think it's a great question. Of course, the CFO would tell you at the end of the year, if it said you were going to get 647, did you get 647? <laughs> yeah, I, I've lived that life. And I bet some of you listening today are, are living that life right now. Uh -huh. You know, we live in a tuition driven, you know, mostly enrollment situation across the country. And, you know, we, we need to get as close as we can. So what you're really talking about is, do I have an excellent model? Do I have a good enough model? Or could it be better? And at EAB, we've identified a couple of hallmarks that we think really are the sort of the gold standard. So think about these things. First of all, the model needs to be specific to your school. You definitely can purchase predictive modeling out there. You know, it comes out of a box, but out of a box isn't going to help you because the inputs, although we may all be tracking the same kinds of behaviors across institutions, the ones that are material in your population will be different and the weighting will be different than they would be at, at a different school. The other thing is critical is that it's dynamically updated. So remember I talked about observations mm -hmm. over time. You know, you wanna be capturing student behaviors um, over time and, and be able to, to sort of, these are usually doing some kind of internal scoring, be able to modify mm -hmm. scoring on the fly. Cause it could be that a student has a pretty low predictive score, meaning a low likelihood of enrollment. And then all based on behaviors, but then all of a sudden they make a campus visit and they spend a bunch of time on your website and, you know, they um, they have emailed a couple of times with their admission counselor and maybe they're part of the um, social network um, to help them, you know, uh, connect with current students on campus. And that when you're tracking that, their, their predictability score ought to be increasing. So that's what I mean by dynamically updated. Um, we're also very interested in diversified variables. Again, there are so many things you can track. Sometimes I think so many trees, where is the forest? And you need to be able to figure out or have help to figure out of all the potential things that we could be measuring and of all the potential things that are actually material with our prospective students, historically, what are the things we ought to focus on the most attention on and give the greatest weight to? And then finally, I would say um, that what really helps is if you continue to update your model every year, because you want to be data science is exploding as a um, as an area of expertise, and you want to continue to bring in sort of the latest advancements that that will help you get as close as you possibly can to accurate. Helpful. I mean, I think if I were somebody listening in, they'd say, "Okay, now I've got a sense of how I can uh, assess my." my model uh, and figure out if it's good enough and make sure I'm keeping it sharp, but that, that will give me a ton of data. What about the insights? Uh, what are we getting, gleaning from that data? Uh, I guess the question for you, Madeline, is like, what do we do with the insights um, that we gain from our model um, and actually use them to benefit our overall enrollment um, operations and, and processes? So, uh, take, it, take it from there. I know, hopefully I haven't stumped you. It's probably obvious. Um, that go, go for it. Well, it, you know, it's kind of interesting. I'm going to reprise some of the um, advice that I had related to uh, just ask people what they intend to do. So you've asked people <laughs> what they intend to do, but then for the 60% who didn't tell you what they intend to do, you actually can lean into the data that you get from this predictive modeling because the, the sort of um, likelihood to enroll scoring, however you calculate that in your mm -hmm. model is going to provide you the same insight about um, not, a, not a chance 
you know, the also no category, even though they didn't tell it to you directly, statistically very unlikely to enroll. And then there are sort of these gradations that move up to those who are very likely to enroll, but have not made the commitment yet. And again, this is about allocating staff time, thinking about staff morale, using your internal resources as efficiently as you can, because you're charged with both effect effectiveness or efficacy and efficiency. And, you know, they can't, again, your staff can't reach out to everybody. So this sort of scoring, it just adds on to information that you couldn't get from that direct survey that I had um, that I have referenced. And then once you have this information that comes from predictive modeling, um, you would use that to actually reach out to students who were the most likely to enroll to just say, hey, you know, you know, we're so excited about you. We're really looking forward to potentially having you as a member of our community. And I just want to connect with you and your family to find mm -hmm. out what information you need, you know, what support and help could we provide to help you as you're thinking about your final decision. So that's where I'd go. Super helpful. All right, we've given them a lot, a lot on modeling. What else have we got? <laughs> so, so I just keep talking. So uh, now we're into number three, but I promise this is my last and then I'll be turning to Lex. Um, uh, no surprise to any of you that you really wanna leverage your financial aid, both your need and merit-based aid to maximum effect because of all the available levers that you have to convert admitted students, really there's not much that's very more powerful than institutional aid. And I don't mean that to suggest that you need to give people money to cause them to enroll, but we know that these are uncertain times financially, that the cost of college has yeah. risen much more dramatically than family incomes. You have the um, economic disruption and unemployment disruption of COVID. And I think there's just a lot going on and everybody wants a bargain. This is America. So whether it's need-based aid, merit aid, or both, what, you know, it, families are usually looking for the polite way to say, so what can you do for me? Um, and and uh, what you need to think about is I'm not going to be offended by that because College is expensive, it's a big investment, and we wanna make sure that, that both our value proposition and then the aid that we're offering will be sufficient to actually get enough of those commitments to meet that headcount and that tuition revenue goal. And I would just remind you, you all know this is a one zero equation, right? You either get all of whatever tuition money that they're going to pay you or it's zero. And so you, you, you have to think really carefully. So um, one of the best ways to think about this, I think, is, you know, everybody sort of goes into an admission season and they kind of make a financial aid awarding plan. Everybody, you need a plan. Um, and it's often based on what's happened most recently. And it also is based on what your enrollment uh, revenue headcount goals are for the coming year. What's going to be the most effective way that you can allocate your aid resources to actually achieve that goal. But so what, what in, in the most effective enrollment shops, um, this is a dynamic process. So you create a financial aid awarding regime, if you will, and you follow your regime as you're awarding. But as, um, as time is passing, as deposits are coming in, or frighteningly, if not enough deposits are coming in, sort of based on your historic pattern, you can actually go back to the awarding regime that you've created and look for, um, are there opportunities where if we increased aid, if we bumped up aid a bit in this particular, uh, for this group of students, um, would that inflect the positive results we're looking for? And um, given the additional cost, does that still get us to the revenue goals that we're looking for? So 
bottom line, what I'm really saying is don't think of this as a set it and forget it. And we, we created a policy and a rule, and now we're just going to blindly follow our rule because in most cases, it is a dynamic enrollment system, enrollment situation. Um, competitors come, you know, rise in various years and they decline in others. And you really want to be able to um, be nimble throughout the admission season. And, and in this case, mm -hmm. I think it's super important for admission and financial aid teams, if they're not very close to be really close in this process, to collaborate together. You know, it isn't like one right. group working at odds with one another. And I would just finally say, because I spent most of the end of my career talking to parents, and I spent most of it talking about finance, that um, in any of those conversations, it's very important to amp up your empathy. I think empathy and care and concern for families and whatever situations you know they're facing or not, you don't know they're facing is important. But I think given what's happened over the last couple of years, there's no greater language than empathy. And even if it doesn't work mm -hmm. out for the student to enroll, um, the family will feel like you heard them and you truly cared. And I believe that that is really important. That's, as, that's um, a big piece of that being the dynamic process is having care and compassion. But yeah. Lex, I have been talking a lot and now I wanna turn it over to you because you are right on top of the, some of the most effective ways that we've discovered at EAB to meaningfully collect, connect prospective students with students on campus and others on campus to drive those yield results. So please talk about that. Yeah, thank you, Madeline. I think that the nice tie-in that we've seen across our time so far in today's um, episode is the importance of coupling the statistical or the analytical or the digital effort. So, you know, doing things at scale, like, like statistical or predictive modeling or like financial aid modeling, um, but coupled with that all important human component, we cannot miss the human component as part of all of this. And I think your point around empathy really drove that home. The next two recommendations that, that I am thrilled to share with the group is how you couple some of these sort of digital platforms at scale uh, to scale your campus community, but you keep those you know, human real person elements as part of it. I think that's where you, that combination can be super, super effective. So the first recommendation um, that will bump up uh, to folks' minds is obviously, maybe not obviously, um, leveraging social media to mobilize your campus community at scale. So this might sound like a no brainer, but uh, you know, we've had the opportunity to see and review hundreds of social media presences and platforms, and not everybody gets this right. Um, so social media is great for generating uh, large amounts of highly relevant content, maybe too much content if you look at folks' um, time spend on uh, iPhones, but tons of relevant content for um, for people, um, but tons of relevant content for admitted students. So there's an opportunity there to leverage the space that these admitted students sit in uh, for your own benefit. Uh, you, we can use social media to provide, provide and promote community and interpersonal connections. And I, I know that you know some folks have felt like uh, uh, social media and social platforms can be anonymous, but what we see is it can actually find these really nice human moments. Um, to, to bring folks together. So and I think some of the, the, no, sorry, go ahead, Madeline. I was just going to say, so what are some of the strategies? What are the social strategies that you've observed that are working? Because I know you've seen a lot of them. A lot, um, maybe too, too many at this point, but um, I, uh, you know, all, all kinds of social communities. But uh, I think that the first 
thing that that really stands out as a strategy that is effective and scalable for admissions offices that um, have limited uh, staff time and resources, uh, actively managing your admitted student groups on Facebook and on other social networks. So that means assigning members, a member or members of your admission staff to serve as moderators and post relevant content with frequency. I think we all um, know that content is king and content withers quickly. Um, you think about this as grapes um, withering and turning into raisins on a vine, but the cycle time for content drying up is much faster than those grapes drying on those vines. So you've got to have folks who are there, it's their job uh, assigned to moderate and post content and manage um, what's on there. And that can be admission staff, that can be student counselors, that can be ambassadors in your student ambassador program, but make sure you're assigning folks there. Um, you know, speaking of student ambassadors, uh, let's not um, miss the uh, obvious impact that current students can have um, to help uh, post content because they, they are content wizards, uh, but also build authenticity on social platforms. So every, I think we, we probably would all acknowledge that the average 16 or 17 year old can sniff out when uh, a post is from a quote grown up as as opposed to you know somebody who is uh, a current student so you know finding opportunities for um, those near peers um, man that sounds really Australian it is Australian near peers uh, <laughs> to post content on there uh, would be a great benefit I think another and and Madeline I think this sings to the to the heart of highly competitive and driven folks like uh, I know you are and I know of myself but set clear goals and expectations for your social staff. So ambassadors, uh, so student ambassadors or those staff members, those alumni perhaps that you engage in these efforts, set goals and expectations, how often you want them to be posting. What are the goals, number of likes, number of clicks, number of views, um, show the impact of their work, get, get in front of them the data about how well or not well their content and their work is, is doing that will reinforce a positive cycle of, hey, this, you saw 200 or 300 impressions or clicks or follows or uh, posts on this, you'll be surprised how impactful that, that is and that will keep them coming back. Um, one solution that we've seen have a really meaningful impact uh, at scale during yield and, and melt season uh, is the online communities that we've built within EAB's uh, enrollment ecosystem uh, enabled by WISA. Um, this has helped uh, you know, foster a real sense of fit and connection and community uh, between uh, admitted students and other admitted students. Hey, I'm thinking about this institution. I'm thinking about the bio program. I'm thinking about living in this res hole and those same admitted students with current students. Hey, I'm thinking about this res hole. I'm thinking about this living learning community. I'm thinking about um, being a bio major or study abroad or internships. You know, finding opportunities to make those meaningful connections has an outsized impact on yield, and we saw that play out um, to great benefit to many of our partners in 2021. I think the final recommendation, and then uh, I know we'll uh, be pulled off stage left, is um, offer students an immersive virtual tour experience for your school. So we talked a little bit about the human, how to how to scale those human connections uh, and communities. The other is how to how to foster a sense of place and fit uh, for prospective students uh, and uh, admitted students and their families 
um, if they can't get to campus themselves or need to visit campus again and travel is difficult. So we know that um, the pandemic has, has wreaked havoc on um, travel abilities and will likely continue to do so across at least the early part of 2022. Um, so the, the final point is you'll want to pay attention to the online options that you're giving students and families uh, to experience your campus. Uh, and the best example of that is having a real robust, authentic virtual campus tour. Uh, and I will offer that not all virtual tours are created equal. Uh, and, and students and families are very discerning uh, as it, when, when it relates to quality uh, and in, inspiring a sense of fit. So a flat map uh, or a, a one drone video will not inspire a sense of fit, purpose and place nor security and safety for those parents who are thinking about um, the, the uh, sweet babies going off to college. Um, so find a format that uh, truly uh, in, engenders a sense of place, purpose, fit, uh, so they can feel, uh, feel themselves in those engineering buildings with those robots or walking through the campus quad on their way to a football game or whatever it happens to be. I think we all know this um, as, as practitioners, but also as people who use digital media to assess, hey, do I want to go to that restaurant or do I don't want to stay at that Airbnb? We assess everything um, via the photographic evidence. Um, those Google Street panoramas or those uh, videos of um, other people's um, food, you know, like this is what um, discerning folks do. And this is definitely what your users, those future students uh, of yours are doing. So um, make it cool, make it immersive, make it um, not just flat maps, uh, but something that truly uh, connects with um, with those audiences. All right, I think I've waxed poetic about how to, how to couple both the digital uh, and the human elements in these, in these platforms. Madeline, um, why don't you wrap us up? I will, but I'm, I'm laughing Lex because you know, you said, well, Madeline has shared, you know, a number of data things and you got right into analytics about getting data in front of your student ambassadors. I'm like, see, we just help ourselves because you, there are, you know, I really appreciate the best practices that you shared. Um, and we all recognize, you know, EAB did a survey earlier where both students and parents have shared that, that your institutional website becomes a proxy for their assessment of your quality. And so, especially with relevance to what you shared about a virtual tour, you know, if you just don't have a lot of spot on tools for them, it, uh, it in their own words, reduces their interest in your college or university. So yep. let's finish up by just wrapping up with a reminder about the five um, sort of recommendations or, or what I would say considerations for you to consider going forward to really have the fabulous yield season that you're looking for. So for me, it was just simply ask students if they plan to enroll and based on what they tell you, really use your human and financial resources intelligently. I think you definitely want to have a plan for what you're going to learn from predictive modeling, assuming that you're doing effective predictive modeling to get to those 60% that aren't going to tell you what they think they want to do. And to always be thinking about financial aid, not just as a financial resource to help people make their dreams of a college education come true, but it's actually a, a tool that you can leverage to your best advantage to bring in the headcount and net tuition revenue that you're seeking. And how about those last two, Lex? Yeah, um, we can't miss opportunities to ha harness the power of social media to engage your prospect and family audience. Uh, and 
can't, don't leave uh, on the table the opportunity to create real immersive experiences through a virtual tour uh, to meet those digital expectations that tomorrow's students and families have of your institution. Well, super. Well, thank you for so much for joining us today. We hope you found this helpful. Lex and I really enjoyed sharing these insights and um, we wish you the very best in your dynamic and successful yield season. Absolutely. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening. Please join us next week when we dispel myths around the practice of financial aid optimization and explain why a smart and dynamic financial aid strategy is so critical to the 99% of institutions who rely on tuition revenue for their survival. Until then, thank you for your time.